Hello. JJ's back. I am back. It is uh, Tuesday night. I was on holiday last week, so I missed it last week. So I've got lots of questions to catch up on. Hope uh, everyone is well. And um, thank you all in advance for the questions. I've got some preordained questions, but always happy to take questions on the fly. If you have anything that you would like to ask me, um, who are you, you say? Uh, well, I'll tell you who I am. That's me right there. Oh, no, that's not me. Uh, JJ Stiano, uh, plastic surgeon to the stars. And I am going to do this question and answer session. Um, and if you want to know what you can do, well, I'll tell you what you can do. That's what you can do. Sorry. That's what you can do. Okay. Please comment and share. Feel free to share or comment the, on this um, thing, what I am doing. So, um, a little bit of English language there. Thank you very much. And I know what you're thinking. Is there a podcast available? Well, the answer to that is yes, there is a podcast available. It's available on iTunes. So we put this on iTunes every week, I think. I hope we do. That was the plan. I'm um, pretty sure we do. I think it's called the Stiano Clinic. The the uh, I'm trying to make everything the Stiano Clinic. That's my branding, the Stiano Clinic. So, uh, for instance, the YouTube channel, that would be the Stiano Clinic. And oh, that's it. Just that. Yeah, well, that is it. So um, uh, I've got me some questions. And Khan's in the house. Big up yourself, Khan. Nice to see you here. We got, oh, no, actually, sorry, sorry, sorry. I've got to get this done because I can, I can feel me forgetting this. Oh, God. Um, so I'm going to do this because I can forget this. Uh, what should I say? What should I call it? Um, I've got to do the competition thing. Where is it? Where, here it is. Uh, competition uh, results. So what we are doing is we're having an event at the clinic on, uh, is it the 27th of August? I'm not sure. I'm not sure when it is. I think it's 27th, later on this month anyway, uh, where we got, um, we're going to be talking about Botox. And we're also got a lady who's a stylist who um, is coming. We're doing an event. Uh, at the clinic and we are giving away tickets i think it's two tickets to the event bring you and your friend we had lots of people who've been liking the post and uh tagging someone i think you're supposed to do anyway there was a thing on facebook where you was, if you interacted you um got um entered in and here, here these results here we are all oh oops. how am i so um, here's the re here's the camera. Here's the results here, and I'm going to pick. On, you know what? I'm going to put them back in the envelope because that's making a bit of a mess there. I'm going to put them back in the envelope, and I'm going to pick one at random. Let's mix it up a bit. So this winner is <laughs> right. There we go. Twenty six. Twenty six is the winner. And 26 is Terry Pierce. Terry Pierce, come and collect your award, please. So Terry Pierce, we will be in contact with you and we will um, 
give you two tickets to the event. It's on the 27th of August, is it? I'm not sure when it is, but it's late in August now. Yes, yeah, later on this month. No, sorry, 27th of August is today. <laughs> right. Okay, 27th of August is today. Oh, dear. Right. Not very well. Anyway, it is, it must be September then. It's September. Oh, man. Anyway, you've won, you've won, Terry. What more do you want from me? All right, you've won uh, an event we're having at the clinic soon, in the next month or two. We're having an event. Botox styling event. It was on the thing. Oh dear, I feel like a fool now. Um, anyway, so well done, Terry. Thank you all for uh, commenting and liking and doing your thing. And um, it was very successful. I was very impressed with Sarah. Sarah set it all up, and I thought it went really well. And um, I'm just going to try to find the post. Oh, my God, that's me. I'm seeing myself. Here we go. A pair of tickets to our VIP personal styling and Botox event held here at the Styano Clinic on the oh, – the, oh, the, oh, it'll be announced on the 27th of August. Right. I've, oh God. When is the event? It doesn't say. Um Okay, what is the event? The event is um, next is in in a, in a few weeks. It's in um, okay. It's in it's in a, a short a short period of time. Um, anyway, let's move on, shall we? So that's uh, Terry's won the won the tickets. Uh, looking forward to seeing you there, Terry. And the uh, event's going to be fantastic. It's a, it's a September event, September slash October event at the clinic. So, yeah, good. Thank you for that. Whoa, that went well. Right. Um, let's do this. Let's do this. The amount of work that goes in behind the scenes, the production of this, I don't think you realize. This thing doesn't run as slickly as it does. It doesn't just get thrown together, you know. I don't just come here and just set up the mic and the background. And just do it, you know. A lot of work goes into the production. It's all totally and utterly planned. Right. How much pain will I be in after? In after? How, oh, sorry. How much pain will I be in after tummy tuck and arm lift? Will I be bed bound for weeks? Um, no. Oh, Brenda's got a question. Brenda, nice. Um, how much pain will I be in after a tummy tuck and arm lift? Will I be bed bound for weeks? So first, just let's just let's just tackle the bed bound thing first. So an arm lift and tummy tuck is a big, big combination of procedures, but you won't be bed bound. In fact, I would encourage you not to be bed bound at all. Um, we would aim to get you up pretty soon, like next day, really. Um, that just means getting out of bed, sitting in a chair. It's good to move. One of the risks of surgery is DVT, clots in the legs that can fly up into your lungs, and that happens when you're immobile. Now, you're going to be immobile for quite a few hours during the surgery. Those things we do, we put Floatron boots on, these things on your calves, these socks on, give you heparin. But the best thing you can do to stop DVT is to move. So it's not good to be bed-bound. 
keep moving, keep your legs moving, keep your ankles moving, keep your bum moving, keep taking deep breaths. So I'd encourage you to move, even if it's after big surgery like this. So I wouldn't be, wouldn't you know, you can sit on the sofa and take it easy. I don't expect you to be doing much, just pottering around the house, but try and keep moving. And when you're not doing anything, if you're lying in bed or sitting on the sofa, keep your legs and ankles moving. So that's the sort of bed bound thing. How much pain will I be in? The most of the pain is because it's tight. Um, your arm's going to be tight. Your tummy's going to be tight. So, you know, you need to bend. You often need to sort of bend forward with a tummy tuck to take the tension off. But also when we do a tummy tuck, we often re uh, repair the muscles and uh, bring the muscles together. And that, that suture in the muscle can be a bit uncomfortable. Every time you cough, every time you sneeze, it's going to hurt your tummy. So it is a bit uncomfortable. So we do make sure you've got plenty of painkillers. Now, you have got to be a bit careful balancing the painkillers because they can make you constipated. They can make you feel sick and dizzy. And certainly constipation after a tummy tuck is not great. So um, you've got to be, you know, obviously if you're not in pain, don't take them. But if you are in pain, do take them. And usually it can be controlled. And I would say it's sore, it's uncomfortable, but, you know, I hope you won't be in too much pain. But it is quite a lot because you can have both arms out of action and your tummy. So it's it's quite a lot. A tummy tucking on its own is quite a lot. So to add a tummy, uh, an arm lift on there is, is quite a lot. So uh, I think it will be quite uncomfortable. And... Um, um but uncomfortable rather than pain i would i would hope uh brenda's got in there get yourself in there brenda cool sculpting how effective is it really wow massive question brenda massive question you know what brenda what do i what can i say um it's a massive industry so you would have thought it wouldn't be a massive industry if it didn't work i mean if it didn't work it wouldn't be so big as it is so it you would assume it must work the problem i've got is i think the results are subtle i think you have to combine it with diet exercise lifestyle if you combine it with diet exercise lifestyle i think you can get dramatic results the problem is you'll get dramatic results with diet exercise lifestyle on its own so how much is just due due to the cool sculpting what we really need is we need a a, a randomized controlled trial where you do sort of whatever it is, whether it be cool sculpting, whatever, fat freezing or, you know, radio frequency or whatever treatment, non-surgical lipolysis, non-surgical destroying fat on sort of one side of the tummy, but not on the other side or on one arm and not the other arm, one leg, not the other leg. So you've got the same person going through the same lifestyle and diet changes and to see purely if it is a result of that lipolysis. Um, so that is the problem. And I think you do see some dramatic results. But I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if there's been lifestyle changes in combination with the treatments because you're paying thousands of pounds for the treatments. You're thinking, well, it could go both ways. You could say I'm paying thousands of pounds for the treatment so I don't have to look after my diet and, uh, and exercise regime. Or you could think I'm investing in the treatment. I'm going to make sure I get the most of it and I have a good exercise and diet regime. I think I haven't embraced it at the clinic because because the treatments are expensive brenda that's why because it's expensive if it wasn't as expensive as it is i think there'd be a lot more to say for it because i think there is some result but i don't know if there's enough of a result to justify the expense at least for my clientele for my demographic i think i and for my practice i want to give good value for money um and i think it is very expensive it's almost as much sometimes more expensive than having surgery. And I understand people will pay more because they don't want the downtime and the risks with surgery. But the results compared to surgery, which goes predictable and, you know, can give very impressive results when you look at before and afters. Surgery is like, wow, 
when sometimes with these results are a bit subtle, you have to look and look at the before and after and say, look at that, there is a bit better. We have to measure and say, look, you've got two centimeters here and there. Anytime you have to convince a patient they've got a good result is a bit like, ooh, you know, as I say, if it was a few hundred pounds for a session, I would think it would be more easy to justify. But the cost of it at the moment, at least for my clientele and my practice, I haven't embraced it because it is too expensive for the results that it delivers in my experience of it. But I've got to say, maybe you should I, I shouldn't maybe you should be speaking to someone who offers it and does it regularly because I don't. And they might. But then they might have a vested interest to say, oh, yeah, it works really well because, you know. Tricky one, Brenda, tricky one. It's a big question, that big question. What's going on here, Kim? Will my own doctor be able to give me sick note for more time off work? I'm six weeks post-op, tummy tuck and breast lift and, imp and implanted and still not up straight and I can't and I can't lift heavy things and my job is very hard work and a lot of lifting. You don't have to convince me, Kim. It's a big comment. Yeah, I would have thought so. Or your surgeon. Uh, we, I don't think you're my patient or our patient, um, but if you were, we would give you a sick note. Uh, but your doctor, whether it be your when your doctor. So when you say your doctor, do you mean your GP or your surgeon? Anyway, either of them can. So your GP could give it or your surgeon could give you. I think the GP sometimes charge for them, do they? But um, but yeah, your, your doctor should be able to give you a sick note. That should be fine. No problem. Brenda, thank you for the comment. Um, uh, respect to you. And I'm grateful to you for that. Um, this is a patient who has got not a patient, a person, because he's not a patient of mine, contacted me from Sweden. I'm from Sweden. I recently got a tattoo and I have had so much regret and remorse since. It's not that big, around two by two centimeters on the front side of my bicep and all black. I can't find much information about this and I don't know who to reach out to, but I came across this clinic and I thought I'd at least send you an email. So I have re responded to you uh, by email. Um, just for the other viewers, I did respond to the email, but um, I will. I said I would talk about it here. But uh, yeah, there's two things with tattoos. Number one is the size, and number two is the location. So a big tattoo, like I've, like today, case in point, I've done quite a big tattoo removal from a tummy, because the tummy's got a bit more spare skin, whereas a small tattoo on the arm will be on the on the sort of biceps area would be more difficult to remove. Similarly, on the hand, there's not much spare skin on places like the the arm and the, and the hand. And so it's more difficult to remove. So I would say two by two centimeters on the arm, it might be quite tight. It might leave an ugly scar. So it's not great. Now, if it's all black, then the, and to be honest, in general terms, I normally say the first point, point of call with tattoos is your G. Uh, oh God, I'm back on the last one. Um, laser. And certainly if it's all black, laser does struggle with the pigment sometimes, but laser is often the first port, port of call. Um, if it is, um, if laser doesn't work or for whatever reason you don't go down the laser route, you could potentially look at excision. But I think two by two on the set in the forearm, you, we might not be able to get all that out in one go. And so you might need what's called a serial excision where you have it done in one go, close it tight, and then you come back three to six months later. And I know you're asking about um, where to go. I would say any fully trained plastic surgeon should be able to help you with that and discuss the, the pros and cons of that. So I would look for a plastic surgeon in Sweden and uh, good luck with that uh kim's come right back at me saying gp yeah gp should be able to do it but although the gp sometimes charge i think i, I don't want to get irate gps on the line now to tell me they don't charge i think there's not a little sign when you get the gp image anyway gp should be able to give you a sick note uh, kim or your surgeon should be able to give you a sick note also hannah i really want rhinoplasty and get married september 2020 is this enough recovery time bearing in mind i haven't even had a consultation yet september 2020 so it's a year 
yes that is fine um uh hannah i've got a question about actually i've got a question about rhinoplasty is that you hannah who asked me the question there um i've got a question about rhinoplasty is it dark in here do i need to turn the light off has that helped yeah so i've got a question about rhinoplasty recovery so um i will talk about that but um yeah i think a year should be fine but you know yeah yeah but no bit yeah but yeah get married yeah is this enough recovery it's enough recovery time i mean you know be 100 percent fully settled because it will be less than a year post-op because it would only be a year post-op if you had surgery within the next few days but um yeah that sounds reasonable, Hannah. Um, right. You haven't asked a question. Okay, so someone else has asked a question about rhinoplasty. Okay, well then stay tuned, Hannah, because the question after this next question is a rhinoplasty question, similar to what you're saying, really. So, um, so the next question is, uh, we've got a visual question here. Love this, love this. Can you explain the blessed uplift diagram and what the different options mean? I know what you're thinking. What breast uplift diagram are you talking about? Well, this breast uplift diagram. Check that out. All right. That's the breast uplift diagram. I'm talking. No. How do I? Huh? That's the. Uh, yeah. That's the one. Right, so I think I turned everything off then. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> okay, I'm still, what I'm trying to do is make, yeah, that's it. That's what I was trying to do. Right, okay, sorry about that. Um, so I can't point, can I? No, okay. So can you explain the breast uplift? So basically everybody wants less scarring. Can I have a breast lift with less scarring? Now, obviously, if you said can i have less scarring or more scarring people would want less scarring yeah no one's gonna say oh, yeah i'll have more scarring please so basically the thing about a breast lift is one thing that all breast lifts do is they lift the nipple so there's always a scar around the nipple to be honest with you i haven't really this crescent one this one on the far right uh the crescent one don't really know i mean you could just do a crescent lift if you just if you had a minor asymmetry of nipple height you could maybe try and lift a, um um the nipple a bit from a crescent but um really the, the the starting point i think if you're talking about a breast lift is really the donut uh, or circumareola mastopexy which is a is a scar all the way around the areola um and the the problem i as i see it with breast lifts is everyone wants minimum scarring but if you're going to get rid of any scar, it's the one around the areola you want to get rid of. And that's the one that you have to have. The other scars are less of a problem. The vertical scar and the horizontal scar are less visible than the, the one that goes around the areola. So the, that's the problem I've got with the 
with the, with the techniques which have less scarring. Now, the good thing about the silicone mariola or the donut mastopexy or Benelli uh, lift is that it just gives you a scar around the areola. And because you have the interface of areola to normal skin, you know, it can fade pretty well. Now, the problems with it are because you're not taking any other skin away, all the skin removal is from the uh, circum areola. You are literally taking a donut of skin out and cinching it down. And that means you're cinching a bigger circumference into a smaller circumference. And that means that the scar is puckered a bit like it is for an areola reduction. So the scar is always puckered, although it does tend to settle. There's a risk that it can stretch. So you have to use either a long-term dissolving or a permanent suture to prevent that stretch. Um, and to be honest with you, in my hands and in my experience, it doesn't give a great lift. It does tend to flatten the breast. It doesn't give much projection to the breast. And I don't like it personally. It doesn't give a very significant lift. Uh, the other techniques, the lollipop or circumvertical uh, and the anchor or inverted T, the other two on the on the left hand side, are more scarring. But because they're having more scarring, more skin can be removed and therefore more of a lift can be achieved. So um, I um, the uh, I would tend to go more towards those ones because obviously, it, you know, you say I don't want the scarring. We don't have anything that gives zero scarring, but zero lift. So it's a balance between volume of scarring or amount of scarring and amount of lift. More scarring, more lift. So the lollipop um, removes, goes round the nipple, so you can lift the nipple up, but then also removes uh, skin in the side-to-side -side dimension. So you're not all of the skin is removed as a donut. You're also removing skin on the side-to-side -side dimension, so you're not getting quite so much as a pucker around the areola because you can correct that uh, skin excision into that uh, uh, vertical scar, um, and it narrows the breast, uh, which is often nice to give a pleasing uh, shape of the, of the breast and to narrow the breast. The problem is it doesn't take any skin in an up and down direction. And certainly if you look on a side view on someone who needs a lift, who's got a bit of a droop to their breast, there is quite a lot often of, of excess skin in the sort of up and down direction. And so that's where the anchor lift comes in. Now, if you, or I should say, if you're not doing an ankle lift, you're doing a lollipop lift, there's a risk of a, of a fold or a, or a pleat or a dog ear or a bunching at the lower end of that uh, lollipop incision uh, because that up down skin has not been removed. So what you tend to do is you tend to pucker and and um, and cinch up that vertical scar to shorten the vertical scar. Uh, and that can leave, leave folds and ridges. And certainly one of the first people who um, uh, popularized the lollipop lift, which was Lejeure, Madeleine Lejeure, which was more of a uh, a, a breast reduction technique um, she would often do uh, as a second she would call it a second stage taking out those wrinkles and folds at the lower part of that uh, uh, vertical incision to give a short uh, horizontal incision and um, she would call that a second stage rather than a revision so to be honest with you if you're and again this is just my own personal um my own personal experience and my own personal technique, I often will do a lollipop, certainly when I'm doing a lift and implants or something like that, uh, when I'm not taking a huge amount of skin out. But at the end, when you get that pucker, when you get that bulge, I will just cut it out and make a short T because that short T, you never see it. Uh, and it just takes out that pleat, takes out that ridge, that dog ear, that bulge, and just helps to take out some of the, um, uh, the sort of vertical dimensions of the breast. Um, but for a full lift, an anchor lift, in my uh, hands and in my experience, is often the best way to give a lift if, 
it depends on how much skin needs to be removed. If it's only a small amount of skin, a, a lollipop or circumvertical might be the way. But certainly if you need more skin removal, an anchor is the way to go. And often if you get that scar in the fold, um, it often heals pretty well and is hard to see. So basically it's increasing scarring and increasing levels of lift. And it's also up to the surgeon as well. Some surgeons have got a view and will like or think the lollipop lifts great and always do the lollipop. Some will always do the anchor, you know, because you've got to look at what results they're getting and um and go with that like i always say go with the surgeon don't go too much on the technique go with the surgeon the, you know you can get good results from all of them probably and bad results from all of them go with a surgeon don't say i want this technique because a bad surgeon doing a good technique can still get a bad result if that makes sense um right lynn and mariana we got some Oh, hold on a minute. Hold on. That was excellent visual representation. I'm very, very happy with that. Um, I am 10 weeks post FDL. That's fleur de lis uh, tummy tuck. I have a large lump underneath T-junction. I'm massaging it, all, sorry, massaging it all the time, but it does not go, it doesn't make any difference. What could this be and will it go away? Oh, tricky one, Lynn. I would say go to your surgeon. Always best. Um, what could it be? Uh, well, it depends if it's a lump in the skin or a lump underneath the skin. If it's a lump in the skin, it could be a reaction to suture. If it's underneath the skin, it could be a fat necrosis, could be a bit, bit dead fat, could be localized seroma, could just be scar tissue. 10 weeks is not that long, Lynn. Uh, 10 weeks is, is sort of still relatively soon, especially for a big op like a fleur de lis um, tummy tuck. Sometimes when you get that, because you're doing that sort of T-junction, you're pulling the skin together at the top, you might get a bit of bunching underneath it. And it just might be a bit of scar tissue and it might just soften over time. Massaging it is good, but I think um, if it's not expanding, if it's not painful, if the skin's not red and angry, then I wouldn't worry too much about it. But you're obviously concerned because you're posting here. So I would say talk to your surgeon and get some advice from your surgeon. Um, but uh, it doesn't sound like anything too worrying. And I think massaging it is probably a good idea. Uh, and it depends if, whether it feels like it's fluid or... or, um, or um, or firm uh, because if it's fluid it could be seroma which could be aspirated what are your thoughts on buckle fat removal does it aid you do does thy fat actually support anything it's not supposed to question to support anything so um it's more of the yeah aesthetic so um basically i don't do facial aesthetic surgery myself karam khan does it at the clinic but i don't do it myself um, but the, the, we've moved away a bit from fat removal from uh, for anti-aesthetic facial surgery. So we used to often remove fat from the face to um, for, for cosmetic surgery. But we're moving away from it now, uh, Mariana. And yeah, does it aid you? Interesting way you put that question. So you obviously have heard that it might. And you can, you've got to be careful with um with removing fat from the face because you can get a sunken look and a, and a and an uh, and it can age and and as time goes on we do tend to lose volume of face you just have to look at a child look at a baby look how full the cheeks are look how much uh, fullness uh, they've got in their face and basically that's what we're all trying to do we're all trying to revert back to look like a um you know child or you look at a young person the, the facial structure of a young person that's what we're all trying to do and, and they're often quite full 
Um, so we are moving away from uh, removing fat from the face and actually moving more towards adding fat to the face. So fat grafting to the face to actually add volume to the face uh, rather than taking it away. Um, so it is more of an aesthetic thing rather than the fat supporting anything. You can remove fat from the face, but um, we're moving more away from removing fat. But again, like I go back to torture surgeon and, you know, weigh up the pros and cons for you, because if you've got excess in a localized area, then it may be relevant to remove uh, or appropriate to remove some fat uh, from that area. So Lynn says it is firm. So yeah, so um, then maybe less likely to be a seroma than Lynn. So maybe massaging, it sounds like a good, good, uh, good plan. But, um, but yeah, uh, nothing too worrying, Lynn, but uh, always best to talk to your surgeon for uh, advice on that. Oh, sorry, I said that we were having a question on rhinoplasty too. And then I started talking about these. So here we go. Here's the rhinoplasty question. After rhinoplasty, how long before the swelling is gone and you see the true result? So um, thank you, Mariana. Um, so rhinoplasty is a tricky one because subtle swelling, subtle changes, millimeters of difference can make quite a, uh, a significant effect on the aesthetics and the proportions and the geometry of the nose. So it is really important to be patient. And this is why it's good to have a proper conversation with your surgeon. Uh, personally, I don't do rhinoplasty. I would um, put, put that, Kuram does, but I don't. Um, but I would just put that out there. But it, it is one that you need proper consultation beforehand to appreciate just how long it takes for things to settle. So the first few weeks, there is quite a bit of swelling. Well, the first week or so, there's bruising. Bruising is often underneath your eyes, so you look like you've got black eyes. There is bruising to start with. The swellings for the first few weeks. Six to eight weeks, swelling sort of starting to go down. But I always really say three months is when things really start to settle. Um, now, uh, who was it? Hannah. Yeah, Hannah was asking about uh, getting married in a year. So three months, things start to settle. Now, careful. Now I'm saying start there. So start to settle out around three months, but it can be six, 12, even 18 months for things to properly settle. So I think around the 12 marks, things, things are really starting to settle nicely, but there might still be a bit of swelling here. There might still be a bit of thickening from the scar tissue, funny sensations. So it can take, you know, 12 months or more for the final result to really appear. But I think things start to settle around three months um, and then, you know, six, 12, 18 months for the final result. So you have to be really patient uh, with, with it. Um, but uh, yeah, three months is the simple answer, I guess. Got a lot of facial questions here. Uh, loving it. Happy to tackle them. I'll bat them. I'll bat them away. I'll give them a go. Well, not bat them away. Get, what are the options for getting rid of a double chin? Again, I don't do facial aesthetics myself, but I can give you, broadly speaking, the options. Now, the first thing uh, I would say is, you know, lose weight. If you're overweight and you've got fullness in your chin because you're overweight, lose weight. And the hope is that the skin will recoil afterwards. Um, uh, uh that that would be the hope and obviously that would be it cured double chin cured um then sort of moving up in complexity with a double chin and you might say well i've lost weight and that's why i've got this sort of sagging chin because i've lost weight and i've got skin uh you can consider liposuction liposuction to the chin is uh is a good technique and if you're young if you've got good skin quality if you don't smoke then there's a good chance that skin will recoil and uh, and improve that skin contour. So liposuction is something that you could um, consider to uh, to to get rid of that fullness there, um, sort of after weight loss. 
um, uh, they're probably the sort of easiest techniques. Then you get into sort of more skin tightening techniques like neck lifts, which is often combined with the facelift, which tightens the skin of the chin. If there is a lot of laxity there and if that skin really isn't going to recoil, um, then then you've got to look at cutting skin out to tighten it, just like breast lifts and tummy tucks, like everything else. If the skin doesn't recoil, then you have to sort of cut skin out. Now, when we tightening skin on the neck, we often hide the scars around the ear to, to pull and, and tighten the skin to get a to get a lift on the chin uh, and a pull on the chin. And um, that will be the sort of final result, the final option to, to uh, improve the neck uh, and the chin contour. Uh, Amis Lavep. Amis Lavep, can you do arm? Nice. To the point, Amis. Don't mess about. Can you do arm? No extra letters, no extra words. Just get there. So can I do arm? Yes, I can do arm. Uh, Amis, I'm thinking you're talking about arm reduction, are you? Arm sort of arm tightening, brachioplasty, we call it. So I can do arm. The problem with doing arm is that it does live quite a long scar. Where's my arm? There it is. So it gives a scar down to your elbow. Quite a long scar when you're doing an arm reduction or an arm lift. Um, but it's something that I certainly can do, that is for sure. Um, what about this one here? Hey guys, what do you think? Hey guys, what do you think of this? Can a thigh lift be done so the scar is under the buttocks? Interesting. I've seen somewhere the thigh lift can be done so the scar is under the buttocks. Have you heard of this? Hmm, scar under the buttocks for a thigh lift. Right, what you've got to think of is this stuff, you know, people make a thing about surgery and all that sort of thing, that it's a big deal. Think about it, right? What are you doing? Think about what you're doing and if, what if you had to do it, where would you make your scar? Where would you get the pull? Um, so, because the scar is where the pull is. So a thigh lift scar under the buttocks, well, that would lift the posterior, the posterior thigh, the back of the thigh. I guess if you've got a lot of laxity in the thigh, in the posterior thigh, then you could. Um, but it's not where most people complain of the laxity. It's usually medial. It's usually the sort of inside of the thigh, the inner thigh, that's the problem. And so the scar usually goes there. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you've seen a scar in the buttocks, that's probably more of a buttock lift. I'm trying to give more definition to the buttock crease and a more rounded buttock is where the scar in the buttock would go. Uh, rather than the lifting the thigh. It's more of a buttock lift uh, and, and giving more roundness and definition to the to the, uh, to the the gluteal fold, the fold where the, the buttock meets the thigh. So it's, um, it's not so much of a, um, it's not so much of a, of a scar for a thigh lift. Uh, and it's certainly not something I've really seen for a thigh lift, but it is more for the buttock. Amis is, is back and Jackie is back too. Look at this. So Amis, can you do arm reduction if if BMI, not blind, okay, is 35 fat, not excess skin? You know what, Amis, I think BMI of 35 is a bit high. We normally work off a BMI of 30, saying if your BMI is less than 30, you're going to get less risk of complications than if your BMI is over 30. So 30 is where we would really be looking at ideally, but you also... Um, need to be happy and stable with your weight. But I think 35 is quite high. And the reason I say that is because um, two reasons. First of all, if you 
first question is are you happy with your weight so if you're happy with your weight then maybe it's okay but often you might say well actually no i'm not happy with my weight but i'd like to get my arms done and then i can you know feel better about myself and go to the gym and what have you if you do surgery on someone who's overweight and then and then especially something like an arm lift and then they go on and lose weight after that they might be left with more redundant skin because you often get more redundant skin when you lose weight that that's why you need to lose weight first because then you can cut that redundant skin out and tighten it more so it's always best to lose weight first but the other thing is the higher your weight the higher your bmi the more your risk of complications and the problem with the nut surgery like an arm lift it is quite tight it goes up into your armpit it's hot and sweaty in your armpit there's a pretty high risk of complications anyway with wound healing problems and um well, wound healing problems, I guess, is a big one. But also if you're overweight, pneumonia, chest infections, DVTs, your risk of complications in general are higher. So you, generally speaking, um, it is better to lose weight first. Uh, you're saying you've had a bypass three months, not lost much yet, but one arm lift so bad. Yeah, you're better off waiting, um, is really, I'll tell you why, you're going to get a better result. You don't want to spend thousands of pounds, get an arm lift now, lose weight and then a couple of years down the line or a year down the line have still have baggy skin there you'd be really annoyed with that and a scar so i know it's frustrating but uh, if you've only had a bypass three months ago i would let it um, do its job and give it time and it will um, it will be better if you can lose weight you'll get a better result and you get less risk of complications if you can lose weight first but oh sorry jackie sorry hold on a minute jackie what happens if you have keloid skin? It, uh, what what terms of what, Jackie? Um, Amis, thank you. Um, if you have keloid skin, do you mean, well, if you're having surgery, you've got risk of getting another keloid. So you, I'd be very worried about having further surgery if you've already got a keloid scar but if uh, or a history of keloid scarring. Uh, but if you have a keloid scar, there are things that can be done, things like steroid injections, intralesion excisions, pressure garment a uh, pressure clips and and pressure drills Ster um, uh, silicone gel silicone sheets so there are things that can be done for keloid skin but if you are considering surgery and you've got a uh, history of keloid scarring then i would be concerned about that so i'm not sure what angle your question's coming at so i've got both angles traveling with your compression garment sorry Traveling with your compression garment. On holiday, after a tummy tuck, do you advise traveling with your compression garment and binder on, or can you remove one or both just for the flight? <clears throat> on holiday, after a tummy tuck. That's a weird question, isn't it? Does that mean you've had tummy tuck abroad and you're coming home? Or you've had a tummy tuck and then gone on holiday? Because I... The first thing is, as I say, I wouldn't go on holiday after a tummy tuck. I would wait until it's all settled and all and all healed, because one of the big risks with a tummy tuck, not big risks, but one of the risks is a DVT, clots in your legs that can fly off into your lungs. That can happen after any surgery, but it's a higher risk after a tummy tuck, because a tummy tuck, you tighten the, the, uh, the, the tummy and you reduce the venous drainage from the legs. So you're going to be more likely to get clots in your legs, which can then fire off into your lungs. And that can be a really serious complication. And that risk is increased when you're flying. So um, it is not good to fly, uh, at least not in the you know first, I normally say six weeks, you know, six, eight weeks or so uh, after a tummy tuck. You ideally don't really want to fly because um, you want, well, two reasons. First of all, you want to get every, 
you want to reduce your risk of DVT, but also healing and stuff like that. If you've got any little wounds, things, then uh, that might be um, an issue if you're if you're abroad. Um, so if you are, so would you traveling with your compression garment and binder or can you remove one or both just for the flight? It's tricky one that because so let's assume you are traveling with your compression garment. Um, now, the compression garment is good for swelling, but it is going to increase the tension on your tummy and increase your risk of DVT. It's a tricky one. And I think it's a balance. I don't really want to say for your. Um, here we go. My opinion only. It's really up to your surgeon because it's a balance between the binder is helping you with the swelling and maybe giving you some support and making you feel better, but it is putting more tension on your tummy. So reducing your venous drainage from your legs, so increasing your risk of DVT. If you ask me, right, it's just my opinion, I would say a DVT is more of a problem than swelling and discomfort from your tummy tuck. So I would say leave off the binder. But that is just my opinion. Um, if you because I'd be more worried about a DVT than uh, than swelling and discomfort from the from the uh, from the surgery, but it also depends on how long after the surgery it is and how much you, how bad your swelling is and things like that. So um, you know, you might say oh, my swelling's really bad and I take my binder off for for an hour and it really hurts and I've got you know. So, well, you know, you can wear the binder then. But if you're going to do that, keep your legs moving, keep your ankles moving, keep walking around the cabin, you know, keep everything circulating. Um, Khan says she's going on holiday at four weeks. OK, well, that's OK. So that so she's going on holiday at four weeks. So, yeah, four weeks is good, is better than, you know, I normally say to keep the garment on for four, four to six weeks. So in that case, again, up to your surgeon. But um, if, if I would say around four weeks, sort of time you can stop using the garment anyway. Sometimes big supportive pants can help instead of the garment. But uh, for me, I would say I would not use the garment while you're flying. Uh, yeah, I would remove them for the flight and then maybe wear them again when you're or when you're out about on holiday and just give you a bit of support when you're out and about. Um, and just around four weeks is sort of time you can think about sort of, you know, coming off with the garment anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's that's not so bad four weeks <clears throat> so um uh yeah that, thanks con thanks for thanks for clarifying that um thank you i was referring to scarring and its impact and you answered thank you jackie that's helpful here we go what we've got here when can i swim when can i swim after a tummy tuck um first thing <clears throat> depends if it's a sea or, or a swimming pool the sea is really good for wounds. You know, when those air, airplane pilots got shot down, the ones that got shot down over the sea and landed in the sea, their wounds and their burns in particular heal a lot better than the ones that were um, with, that weren't shot down in the sea. The sea water is really good. Salt water is really good for wounds. So, um, you know, as long as you haven't got any dressings on, um, you can go in the sea whenever. Um, when, uh, in terms of the pool, the swimming pool, I normally say, look, if you have got a dressing, if you if it is exudative, if there is stuff on your underwear or if you've got if you're wearing a gauze pad or something, there's stuff on it, then I wouldn't go in the pool. But if you once it's dry, um, then you can go in the pool. Two, three weeks, something like that, usually. Um, now, that's sorry, that's going in the pool. Swimming, I guess. Uh, yeah, maybe I should have thought this through a bit more. So swimming is a bit more of a big thing. So that's getting into the pool once the wound is dry. So that's two or three weeks. Swimming is quite an activity. So actually, maybe a bit of gentle breaststroke might be all right. 
but not not too crazy with a with the front crawl. No butterfly. Um, you know, you're looking at six weeks before you're doing anything active because it's going to make your tummy swell. So gently, you know, getting in the pool and maybe a little bit of gentle breaststroke, but see how it feels. It might make your tummy swell and, and be a bit uncomfortable. But um, two or three weeks you get in the pool, six weeks before you've been doing anything sort of proper swimming, but you can do sort of gentle swimming in the first uh, two to six weeks. Is that helpful? Got through that one. Right, here we go. Hi there. I have seen your live feeds on a Prague Plastic Surgery Facebook group. That's good. Welcome everyone in the Prague Plastic Surgery Facebook group. My live feeds are there. That, I'm loving that. That is the sort of publicity we need. Thank you. I was wondering if you could help me. I was initially, I was looking initially at having a breast uplift and implants in Prague, but I think my husband and myself would me, would feel more at ease having surgery in the UK. I've sent several pictures to a couple of surgeons and they both said that I need an uplift only, which is quite disappointing as I'd really like bigger boobs. Nothing too big though. I'm unsure as to why they don't think I'm a candidate for implants. Can you possibly tell me what you think and what you'd be able to do? Many thanks. I haven't seen pictures so that, that this is, I'm just basing it on what uh, is said there. I haven't got um, the pictures of, 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 of what we're talking about here but just in general terms the thing is uh when i talk about lifts and implants look god look i've got really big hands there um they're not that big really small hands right that's enough of that um so when i um talk about lifts and implants I uh, say, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, there's always exceptions to the rule, shape and volume. If it's mainly a shape problem, it's a lift. If it's volume problem, it's implants. If it's shape and volume, it's lift and implants. So what I can see happening here is you have got a shape problem. So the surgeons are saying you need a lift. And um, you're saying, well, actually, I want to be a bit bigger but nothing too big. Now, the problem comes here is a lift and implants. When you do a lift and implants, it's got quite a high complication rate because a lift makes everything tight, an implant makes everything tight. So it's got a high complication rate, the risk of wound breakdown. If the wound breaks down, if the implant gets infected, you have to remove it. So it's quite a big deal, a lift with implants. And when you're doing a lift with implants, if you're putting a small implant in, uh, it might be, and I don't want to talk for the sir. I don't know what they're thinking. I guess the thing to do is ask them what they're thinking. But what I'm thinking, they might be, they might be thinking. Ripping out, there's too many thinkings in there. Um, is that maybe uh, if you're going to have just a small implant, is it worth taking on the risk and the expense of having a lift with implants? What about just having a lift? See what you think. You might be happy when the volume's on a better place in your chest, higher on your chest. You might be happy with that volume, and you might not want implants. Now there are. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm also thinking that actually there's a lot of surgeons. I'm not thinking. I know there's a lot of surgeons, good plastic surgeons. They're not bad. They're not bad surgeons who don't do a lift with implants. They won't do it in one operation. They stage it simply because it has got a high complication rate. So you might be sending it to surgeons who just don't do a lift with implants. Who so look at your breast and say, look, you need a lift. We're going to do a lift first. If you want implants, I'll do that as a second stage later on. It is more expensive doing it that way. 
but you reduce your risk of complications because you do your lift, you get yourself healed. If you have any infections or anything like that, it doesn't matter quite so much because you haven't got an implant in there. And then later on, you can go on and have implants. So it is more expensive, but it does reduce the risk of complications. And there are many very well-respected surgeons who do it that way. I do do a lift and implants in one operation, but I do warn everybody that uh, it has got a high complication rate. And, you know, there is a there is a risk uh, of of uh, of complications, but if you do want to be bigger and lifted, it is probably the best way to do it. Um, and it depends on how much bigger you want to be. As I say, if you only want to be a little bit bigger, just a small implant, might be thinking, mm, is it worth taking on those risks and those complications? So that might be what they're thinking, or it might be that they just don't do lift with, lifts with implants. Um, but if it is shape and size, you know, if you say I'm a B cup and I want to be a D cup. Well, that's not going to happen with a lift. A lift is you're still going to be a B cup, you know. But if you like a D cup, and I'm like, well, I'm happy being a D cup, but I just want them fuller. Well, you know, then maybe a lift on its own. So if you're happy with your cup size, then maybe a lift on its own is where you want to be. Venancia Faria. I got a very bad ripe on your arm. A very bad ripe on your arm, on my arm. You've got a bad ripe on my arm. I've got a very bad ripe. How could what could that be with even with predictive text? What could that be? I got a very bad ripe on your arm. Valencia, I'm I am not Venancia. I'm not sure what um what that comment signifies but i'm i'm sorry to hear that uh, and i i don't know what that i don't know if that if that's a predictive text issue but um a very bad ripe on your arm and khan is saying i share them in all groups khan you oh hold on a minute but i got wait a minute first of all let me just big up sean for a minute um khan god khan and i've emailed you and i've called you karen haven't i i haven't called you karen it's the predictive text puts Karen in. I put Khan in, I press return, and it says Karen. So that's not me spelling your name wrong. It's the predictive text when you put it on Facebook, it just says Karen. I try and go back and change it back to Khan. But um, I am immensely grateful for you, Khan, for sharing it in all groups. You are, a, you are a stalwart and a great supporter, and I'm very, very grateful to you for that. So... Um, Thank you very much, and uh, hello to the groups. If I'm <laughs> if I'm in a group right now, well, I'm not because we're doing it live. But you know, if I'm being shared in a group, hi, I'm Jonathan. So let's see if what you what's <laughs> what's going on with Van Venencia. Venencia, I got a verse scar ripe on your arm. Right, that was the first one. I got a verse scar ripe on your arm. Then that was amended to, I got a very bad ripe on your arm. Are you saying you got a bad scar on your arm, maybe? Got a bad scar? Venancia, you can always direct message me. If you want to show me a photo of your scar, I'll, I'll have a bash at uh, giving you an opinion on that. And uh, Khan is going to let me off for calling her Karen and Sean and whatever else I called her. So thank you for that, Khan. Um, and uh, it's totally my fault. I can ha have no responsibility for that 
Uh, it's all Facebook's fault. Um, right. What we got going on here, we have got a question here which says, how long after surgery would you recommend starting MLD? You guys like your TLAs, don't you? Hmm? MLD. Uh, so I think that is manual lymphatic drainage, I believe. Um, so manual, uh, I don't particularly recommend manual lymphatic drainage, not because I don't think it's not good, uh, but I just I don't think it's good or bad. I just don't find it's something that's crossed my transom. Um, so I wouldn't particularly recommend it at all. Um, but if you wanted to have it, then that would be fine. And I guess you'd really want, it depends on the surgery and it depends on whether the MLD is going to be, they're going to be um, going around your scars and if the scars are tight and if there's any wound healing problems. But a few weeks, two or three weeks, maybe, I don't know. Um, and it'll probably be up to the MLD person. They'd probably know better than me. Um, but I guess you'd want to get everything pretty well healed before you start massaging too much. Um, but yeah, yeah, but no, but yeah. Big question. Looks small, but it's big. You know, some people that say it's got to be changed every 10 years. Some people do routine scans and all that sort of stuff. You know, everyone's different. And anytime people do different things, it mean there's no right thing to do. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is this. Right? Disclaimer. This is my own personal opinion. And it's no substitute for an in-person consultation with your surgeon. So, you know, speak to your surgeon and there's different views and opinions on this. And as I say, anytime there's different views and opinions, that means there is no good, you know, not, not no good. There's no sort of right answer. So um, you've got to think about what would be the reason for needing your implants. Let's get that off. Sorry. What would be the reason for needing your implants replaced? So obviously, if you get an infection or if you get a problem with your implants, uh, you're going to need to a rupture, the shape changes, you have an accident, the shape changes and they, they look strange. The um, If things go wrong uh, and they start to look abnormal, then, then they need to be replaced. Now, we always offer everybody yearly follow-up uh, for everybody, not just implants, just to keep an eye on things, just to keep check on things. But I've got to say, the, the uh, driver for changing implants comes from the patient, it comes from you. Um, I wouldn't tell people that they need to have their implants changed. The common reason later on is capsular contracture, scar tissue forming around the implant, making that implant feel hard. But you don't have to have it changed just because you've got a capsular contracture. Um, and normally it normally takes, takes about five or ten years for that to happen. Um, but you don't have to have them changed. You might say, I'm really worried about this. And we'll be like, oh, yeah, it's capsular contracture. It's nothing to worry about. It's probably going to get worse. But it takes it's very slow to get worse. The problem with changing your implants when you've got capsular contracture is that if you change your implants, you take all that scar tissue out, put new implants in. It's quite a big operation that. Another capsule comes quicker after the second operation because you're creating more scar tissue every time. And so I always say to people, leave them as long as you can because you don't want the clock to start ticking on the second set of implants. So unless it's really uncomfortable and, and mass, you know, misshapen, I would try and avoid further surgery. Uh, you want to minimize the amount of operations on your on your arm. Um, and so unless you've got a problem, uh, the shape has changed. If there's a swelling, if there's a lump, obviously you need to get it looked at, particularly now with this ALCL thing that's um, come up with implants. But certainly if you haven't got a problem, if you're asymptomatic, if they look fine and you just had them in for 10, 15, 20 years, 
If they're not causing you any bother, I would avoid surgery personally. I would leave them alone. Again, there's no, no substitute for an in-person consultation and go and talk to your surgeon and get things checked out and what have you. But the driver usually comes from you, the patient. If you need, it, you know, if you're gonna have your implants changed, it usually comes from the patient to say, look, they're hard, they're uncomfortable, don't like the look of them, my breasts have drooped, they're too big, they're too small, you know, whatever. That would be the reason for replacing them. Um, and that is, as I say, is coming from the patient. Um, oh, here we go. Venencia, scar on my arm, scar on my arm. So Venencia has got a, a very, a very scar on your arm. Very bad scar on your arm. Okay. Um, scar revision, we can't remove scars and um, all we can do is change them. So the question is what, first of all, how old is the scar? Really got to wait at least a year for a scar mature, to mature before you think about doing stuff. Within that year, you can start massaging it, moisturizing it. You can use silicone dressings, silicone sheets, silicone gels, if particularly the scar is red and raised. So those are the sort of things you can do within the first year to help with the scar. Um, once the scar is mature, so I'd say at least a year really, you've got to think what's wrong with the scar. So is it lumpy? Is it hypertrophic? Is it keloid? Um, there are things we can do for those sorts of scars, steroid injections, uh, even interlegional excision, but that would usually be a last ditch. Is it stretched? Is it wide? Might be able to revise it and make it narrower, although there's always a risk it could stretch again. Is it the position of the scar, the angle of the scar? We can always change the angle, change the position, but we're limited as to what we can do in terms of scarring. We can't remove it. We can change the direction. We can change the angle. We can move it slightly. We can help with stretched or dented scars or raised scars. But if it's a mature, flat, skin-colored scar, there's not a lot we can do. It's, you know, it depends on how it's bad as to whether anything's going to be done. Been a big one tonight. I think you'll all agree that. Uh, this is the last question. If anyone's got a question, then they can please. And if financier, if you want me to elaborate on that, on that. Oh, here we go. Uh, elaboration incoming more than 35 old more than 35 old 35 years is it old 35 so if it is old then um then yeah it's um that's good you left it to settle so yeah really if it's raised dented stretched or in a funny position we might be able to change those things but uh if not and we're limited as to what we can do um you can always send me a photo if you want venancia do a direct message me a photo I'll have a look. Do you perform hybrid implants? Now think that what this person is uh, referring to is implants with fat grafting. And no, I don't. And the reason I don't is because I don't think it's necessary. Um, the person initially uh, uh, comment, um, got in touch asking about fat grafting to the breast. And I'm like, well, fat grafting to the breast for cosmetic surgery, for reconstructive surgery is very good. And I used to do it all the time for breast reconstruction. It's brilliant technique, fat grafting, but it's subtle. It's very good for 3D contour irregularities. Uh, it's very good for adding volume to one breast if there's an asymmetry. But for both breasts, for cosmetic augmentation, it's not great because the results are subtle. It's a small volume increase, less than a cup size. It's quite expensive. It's similar price to breast implants. Often has to be repeated. Um, so and ideally you want someone with a lot of fat and big breasts, but those are the people who don't want 
tend to have implants. The people who have implants usually have not much fat and small breasts by definition. So you're limited your donor sites, you're limited with your recipient sites where you can put fat in. So in my experience, cosmetic breast augmentation using fat grafting is subtle the results and it's not, you've got to be very careful with in terms of patient expectation because of the because of the expense of it. And the gold standard, the best way to do uh, to enlarge a breast is still breast implants. I totally understand why people don't want breast implants. They're worried about all these media stuff, um, you know, a breast implant illness. This particular patient's worried about ALCL, rippling, um, capsule contracture, infection. You know, there's all sorts of things that can happen with implants, so I totally understand it, but they are still the best and most predictable way to enlarge the breast. Now, hybrid implants means, um, I think this is what they're referring to, is having implants and fat grafting. So you put implants in and fat graft over the top. I don't do that. The reason I don't do that is because that's quite expensive because you're doing implants and fat grafting, so it's going to be an expensive operation. And why would you need it? If you haven't got enough cover over your chest, I tend to use the muscle, go under the muscle to cover the implant. And modern day implants, cohesive gel, textured or polyurethane foam implants are pretty good in terms of rippling and uh, and uh, edge visibility or palpability. You often do feel them early on, but they usually settle. And if they don't settle, then you could always consider fat grafting at a later date. I think that would be a better way of doing it rather than doing fat grafting to start off with, because many people will not need that fat grafting at a later date. Now, you do hear a bit about more about it in America, where they use more saline implants, they use smooth implants, which have got a slightly more risk of rippling and what have you. So if you are a bit more wide about rippling, then I can sort of see the advantage of it. But rippling, touch wood, is not um, a common uh, problem. But uh, if you do get rippling, then fat grafting is good for it. But I say, if you are very slim, usually putting an implants under the muscle gives it a bit of cover coverage in the cleavage area. And uh, certainly the fat grafting will not enhance the volume significantly because the implant gives the volume and the fat grafting would only be to be giving soft tissue cover. And so I would tend to go submuscular with the implants rather than doing a hybrid combination of fat grafting and implants is where I would go with that. Final word to Venencia. Venencia is going to send me a photo. So that's good. Thank you, Venencia. I'll have a look and uh, I'll put my oar in. So thank you all for that. Thank you, Khan, for um, sharing this on the the uh, pages or the uh, what is it the groups the groups thank you very much for that um, very um, grateful for the um, for the comment and the comment and sharing so sharing in capital letters I think you notice there so Khan's doing it are you um, so um, thank you for that uh all in fair warn that is that is 2009 i'm going to check myself out of here but don't fear don't panic don't worry because i'll be back next